It is 12.03. We are back here. You want to call 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell, slips and falls, aches, pains, pain management. We talk about it all, health concerns over the next hour with uh, with Dr. Dr. Payne here. Luigi, you've had a, a good week. It's a nice week out there now. Slips and falls, probably not today. At 11 degrees, it's going to be uh, an absolute beauty. You got your mic on there? Yeah, is it on? No, it's not no. on yet. <laughs> You can talk through. There, there it is. You go. There it is. What's uh, happening? Not too much. You? Good, buddy. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm it's all a beautiful right. day today. It's nice to see the sun, uh, some warm weather, and then I think it's supposed to get cold again this week. But anyhow, um, yeah, no, uh, lots of interesting things happening this week. Uh, traditionally in the healthcare business, uh, February and August tend to be a little bit slower, uh, but obviously we still have our our share of new complaints. Uh, one of the things that we also do is corporate outreach stuff uh, and wellness talks uh, with businesses across the GTA. And uh, and we were at a business, uh, a, a large electrical supply company uh, this week, and we, we, we essentially will go in and kind of identify what the problems are that they have and what they want us to educate their workers okay. on. Um, and this particular company identified that blood pressure was an issue. Uh, so they wanted us and, and my team to someone to go in and, and kind of talk about hmm. blood pressure and the things you can do and not do. And I, I went there for the, the conversation and there were actually a few people that knew who I was through the, the radio show, cool. which was, uh, which was kind of cool. Um, but, uh, one of the things that I found really interesting and it highlighted the point that I constantly see in practice and that I've mentioned a lot, um, here on the show as well is understanding the difference between a symptom a clinical sign okay. and a diagnosis. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, oftentimes we talk about things like blood pressure, high blood pressure as a diagnosis. And it's not a diagnosis. It's a, it's a clinical sign, right? So symptoms are things that people can describe. So I can tell you, John, uh, my back hurts. That's me giving you a symptom. Uh, and then you as a practitioner may look at me and ask me to bend forward to check my range of motion. And then you find that my bending forward is limited by 50%. That's an objective measure. That's a clinical sign. And then finally, when you tell me what's wrong with me, that's the diagnosis. So oftentimes people are going to their physician's office, they're uh, getting their blood pressure taken and they're being told that they have high blood pressure yep. and people are taking it. Time. Yeah. And people are just taking it as, yep, that's my diagnosis. I have high blood pressure. Well, lots of different things can, can cause high blood pressure. And like most things in healthcare, uh, you're often dealing with the very serious or the benign. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like kidney issues and renal failure can cause increased uh, blood pressure. Um, And then you can also have things like lifestyle issues, like if you're overweight, you're not eating the best foods, et cetera, et cetera. That is what could be leading to your blood pressure. Uh, But I thought it was really, really interesting that, you know, as a healthcare profession, um, us, the professionals, we haven't done a good job of making the population understand that difference between a symptom, a sign, and a diagnosis. And oftentimes we're giving people just clinical signs and they're walking out of offices thinking that they've been diagnosed with something when really all they've been told is they have a clinical sign, right? Same thing as a fever. A fever is a clinical sign. It's not a diagnosis. What's leading to that fever? And, and you know, from a pain management perspective, we see this a lot where, um, you know, people may come in and, and they have a knee issue and then they're looking at it and they've been told uh, that they have knee swelling, right? right? And it's like, okay, well, yeah, that's just a sign. That's It's a measurable sign. But the more important question in order to determine the treatment plan, 
what's causing that, right? Because as I've always said, it's the the treatment that you uh, render is going to be based on the diagnosis that you can come to. And oftentimes we try to have a list of a few diagnoses that we think are the most likely. We'll have something that we really believe is, yeah, this is it. But we always have two, three other things that we keep in the back of our mind because so many things can present the same way. And in doing that, it gives you room to always go back and reassess if things aren't changing so that you can actually get the person better. Fibromyalgia, same type of thing. Everybody thinks that's a, an illness. Yeah, it, right? it's, it's more similar. So fibromyalgia was, um, it's essentially chronic pain. When right. you actually break down the word, all it means is fibro is fibers, myo is muscle, and alga is the word for muscle pain. pain. And, and so it's basically pain of the fibers and muscles of the body. It's Fibromyalgia is one of those things that we call a diagnosis of exclusion, which means you want to rule out everything else that may be potentially mm-hmm. causing that type of a pain uh, presentation. And then once we've been able to say, okay, there's nothing else uh, like a rheumatoid arthritis or an ankylosing spondylitis or this or that, there's nothing else, then we kind of term it fibromyalgia. And again, it's just chronic pain. Um, fibromyalgia was also based on uh, a research study that was done with a couple checking for tender points across the body. Um, and one of the things that was interesting with uh, chronic pain and with fibromyalgia is two things are often related with, uh, with the chronic pain presentation, uh, poor sleep and depression. And so those three things, pain, depression, and sleep deprivation tend to go hand in hand. And it kind of makes sense when you actually stop and think about it. If you're in a lot of pain, it's obviously going to affect you psychologically. And then obviously your psychology is going to affect your pain levels as as we've talked about. And then, you know, that's going to interrupt your sleep patterns because you're not overall well, whether it's physically or mentally. So those three things oftentimes go together. And and even in my experience, the patients that I've seen throughout my my career, oftentimes when you're dealing with someone who has a chronic pain presentation, there are a lot of other things also going on uh, that need to be taken into consideration. And the reason why you take it into consideration is because that's how you come up with a good treatment plan, right? Because you can't just treat one thing. If a, if a person has a bigger underlying problem, you got to treat everything. When you went to this uh, this electrical place to do your uh, do your talk, it was under the banner of, of high blood pressure. Did you find a commonality why that was so prevalent in that workplace? We were not given uh, the specific information. So I guess what they had done uh, a few months ago was kind of have someone come in and they identified that high blood pressure was an issue uh, and they wanted to just give their workers resources to help lower it. From what I gathered from talking with people after, it seemed like a lot of it was just stress related to Mm -hmm. the type of job that they were doing. Right. We'll take a a short break. Phone lines are open. You have concerns, pain, medical concerns. Bring them on. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Lou is here till 1 o'clock this afternoon. The Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. Lots of time to call in. 12-13 in the uh, the afternoon here on what is an absolutely stunning Saturday on this uh, family day weekend. we got phone lines open. Give us a call. We'd love to talk to you. Got uh, Jimmy in the line. Hey, Jim, how are you? Good, John. How are you? Good, pal. What's uh, what's your concern? Okay, well... um I'm, uh, I'm 59 years old, and I'm still in the gym every day. Uh, man. Pumping weights about five times a week. Nice. Good for you. This, uh, I got this shoulder pain. Now, I figure with both my shoulders, it's probably just inflammation. But in one of my shoulders, when I'm doing some lifting, I get this crunching noise. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of curious to what that might be. Right. Um, there's a couple things. Oftentimes, and people will complain about this type of noise a lot for the knees and also mm-hmm. the neck. Um, we, If it's what I think you're talking about, we usually term it crepitus. Uh, what crepitus tends to be is 
as you get older, the joint spaces anywhere in your body start to narrow a little bit, which means there's not as much uh, healthy space in between. So you start to get this crunching noise that the joint will kind of make. Um, you know, it's usually not a big deal. It's just the reality of getting older. That's what tends to happen. Uh, in someone like you, Jim, when you're complaining of a certain type of activity causing it, um, I mean, if you can avoid eliciting that type of of issue, it's probably good because it just means that maybe your shoulder's under more stress than, you know, it needs to be. So if there's ways that you can modify uh, your exercise uh, to eliminate that, that's probably not a bad idea. Um, but yeah, a lot of the times um, that crunchy noise or crepitus is just simply due uh, to the joints narrowing a little bit, and that's just t- what tends to happen. Um, you also can exclude the fact that when you're looking at things like the shoulder and the hip, um, you know, it could be uh, something more like a click or even in the knee. That's when you start getting into, is there a possible tear somewhere mm-hmm. uh, in the actual labrum, which would be the the cartilage in between uh, the humerus and the shoulder blade. Uh, and that's a little bit more of a serious injury. So it could be, you know, a couple of different things that could be causing that noise. In my experience, when people use the term crunchy, it's most often related to the crepitus. But there are times when, again, one of the things that's hard when you're dealing um, with patients, well, not hard, but one of the things that you have to try to do is sometimes it's hard for people to actually explain um, appropriately what it is they're feeling or mm-hmm. they're hearing. Um, so again, yeah, Jim, if it, if it's really a crunch and kind of a crepitus noise, I would say that that's probably more related to just some wear and tear in the area. Is there pain involved too, Jim, or no? Yeah, just, you know what, with that, just slightly. I mean, right. I'm, I'm still able to pretty much do what I want, but right. just a slight pain. But I was more curious if, you know, if I'm doing, you know, more damage than... Right. Yeah. And and again, if you could do something to avoid hearing that, like it sounds to me, you're saying one specific exercise causes you uh, this type of presentation. I would say try to avoid that exercise, right? Because there's no need to, to you know, aggravate something. I, I will often tell my patients, listen to your body, your body, because a lot of times people ask me, like, when can I go back and do this? Or can I do that? Can, can I not do this? And I often will say, just listen to your body. It's very smart. It's going to tell you uh, what it likes and what it doesn't like and if your body's doing things uh like you're you're mentioning it's probably telling you it's not overly thrilled to be doing that particular exercise yeah yeah so maybe just modify a little is that basically all you have going on at this point jim well, actually, I have a little bit of arthritis in the knees, but I still do squats too. See, this, yeah. this speaks to working out your whole life, man. That's what I'm, that's why I asked him. Right? Yeah, it, well, it speaks to life, wear and tear, right? Yeah. Your joints are just, and some joints are unfortunately more predisposed to the wear and tear than others. The knees are a big one, uh, especially because of the fact it's just a simple hinge joint between a mobile hip and a mobile ankle, uh, which causes, from a mechanical standpoint, uh, for it to be a point of greater stress. Uh, so those things start to happen. And then obviously the shoulder, it's, it's what we do everything with is, is our upper yeah. body, right? So, yeah. uh, and the, the amount of um, movements that are involved in the shoulder. The other thing that really mm-hmm. predisposes us to issues with the shoulder is that if you actually look at the anatomy, uh, really the only thing holding our arm in place is a bunch of muscles. Attached to the scapula. Yeah, really. attached that's to the it. Sca- Yeah, it, that's, it. that's all it really is. Versus if you look at kind of like the elbow, the bones fit together nicely like a puzzle piece. Sure. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you, it's a, it's, and because it's so mobile and not a lot of things are there supporting a good 
muscular endurance and strength in those rotator cuff muscles is becomes very, very important. And one of the other things that I often talk about um, with shoulder issues is understanding um, the way that the scapula, the shoulder blade, sits on the rib cage. Right. It needs to be in a proper, optimal position because once it starts to lean forward or go off to the side, it does tend to put all those other tendons and tissues under more stress than, than really needs to be there. I just asked Jim because it, it just speaks to being active and getting out there. Like he's still squatting. He's still doing his shoulder yeah. press. He's yeah. in there five days a week. No, he's, oh, he's not old. He's only 59, but yeah. it just speaks to getting out there and being active still, For sure. training, and, and- working out. You know what? The thing that we got to realize is sometimes people will use that as kind of an excuse to not work out. Mm-hmm. But if if at 59 years old, you have a little bit of shoulder pain, what could his life be like if he wasn't active? Right. What, you know, and right. a lot of times I remember, you know, growing up, I was always a big wrestling fan. Uh, and I remember once watching an interview with Hulk Hogan and they were kind of asking him, like, how do you keep going? Like, you, you know, you're 60 years old or whatever it is. You're still in great shape. And he basically said, if I stop, that's when the pain starts. So yeah. I just keep going. And, and it's true that deep conditioning component can lead to a lot of pain presentation and it's very common to see that in elite athletes who end up stopping that they develop all these new issues it's because your body gets used to something 416-870-6400 star 640 on sale lots of lines open we'd love to hear from you as well as we continue the dr pain show on talk radio am 640 1222 here on a beautiful saturday afternoon yeah give us a call we have lots of open lines you have health concerns pain concerns that's why dr lou is here uh elaine good afternoon how are you good how are you okay what's your concern um well i was diagnosed with um fibromyalgia uh, a couple of years ago and i was sent to a specialist and um he said it was just something torn in my back and but my doctor kept on saying it was fibromyalgia and then he changed his mind after and then he said no it's not um i have like chronic leg pain um not too much in my back um, uh, I, my son did pass away a couple of years ago and my husband has cancer. So, uh, I have a lot of, uh, g- things going on yeah. mm-hmm. and now I'm losing my hair. Right. So, um, the doctor put me on tons of medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, he puts, takes, puts me, uh, first it was uh, gabapentin and then the specialist told me not to take it. And uh, then they put me on uh, narcotic medication mm-hmm. and then sleeping because I was having trouble sleeping and then lorazepam and then uh, uh, antidepressants and which I, every time I go, it's not to fix the problem. It's just another medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear about all the, the things going on. It sounds like it's very tough and, you know, my thoughts go out to you. Uh, one of the things with chronic pain, as I, as I was mentioning, whatever it is, whether you want to term it fibromyalgia or chronic pain due to some other factor, it, again, my point is that it's all kind of the same things. But one of the things that, as I mentioned, is consistent with it is the depression. And obviously, based on everything that you're telling me, there is some type of a, an anxiety depression component oh, yeah. going on. Right. Um and you know the the honest truth. It's very very hard work, and I and I have this conversation with a lot of patients every single day. Um, it's it's a lot of work, but the one thing that really can make a world of a difference. See, we we think pain is just physical, so we often will focus on the physical things or the chemical things like the medications, and we 
really diminish how important the mind is in helping us control our pain levels. And yeah, the lorazepam and the anti-anxiety stuff, all it really does is numb you up, but it doesn't right. cause the solution or it doesn't work towards a solution of actually trying to change your behavior through your beliefs. And that's where cognitive behavior therapy uh, is something that could be much, much more beneficial. And again, it's, it's not something that would make the difference after doing it one time. It, it's one of those things. It's kind of like if you were severely obese, Beast and someone said you need to exercise it's not just going for a walk one time it's going to be the lifestyle yeah it's changing your lifestyle and over you know months years uh you will start to see the change and that's the way cognitive behavior therapy works is that over months and years of doing this and practicing it you will start to see a change and what you have to look at is you know when i first started how was I compared to, you know, right. seven months later, how am I now? And you're not looking for it to be 100% better, but that you're always kind of getting a little bit better uh, time after time. So, yeah, Elaine, it's it's very tough. You you, you have a complicated um, um, case is what I would call this with all the other things going on. Um, you know, if you want anything else, you can give us a call uh, and, and we can set up a consultation and we could talk a little bit more privately about the things going on. Okay. 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 Take care. 1-855-55-DR-L-O-U, D-R-L-O-U, by the way. Got to ask Scotty and Peter Rowe. Hey, Scott. Hey, how are you? Good. What's going on with you? Oh, not too much. I was just uh, wanted to follow up on the joint pain. Um, I was just wondering about glucosamine sulfate, if that's uh, mm-hmm. actually worth purchasing. Yeah, it, it kind of, it depends, number one, on what the joint issue is. So glucosamine sulfate, um, through some research, and the thing with all these types of more natural products, um, the the scientific testing is usually not as rigorous as it is with medication, uh, but some of the better evidence on glucosamine sulfate uh, does suggest that, yes, it can help with, with joint pain. Uh, but it needs to be used for a prolonged period of time. So, you know, if you started taking it today, would you see an effect tomorrow? No. Uh, You'd have to probably take it for about three to six months. uh, And then, you know, are you going to notice an effect in six months from now? I always say these types of things are better from a preventative standpoint versus a lot of people that I see are already in pain and they're looking for a solution to it. And they're saying, you know, can I just take glucosamine? And it's probably better if you know you have a history, you're a runner, um, and you know, you know, probably the likelihood is you're going to develop some type of knee issue. You start taking this early on from more of a preventative standpoint um, versus trying to take it from a therapeutic and treatment standpoint. So it's not that it's not worth it. Um, you just have to be sure of what you want to use it for. And it has to be uh, prolonged use. The other thing with a lot of these natural supplements is understanding how they're made and and what the actual like there's plenty of multivitamins out there that you might as well buy them and throw them in the garbage really? because yeah. there's just not they're just not good right so yeah. um one of the things with even like with glucosamine there's some that are very very good and have the right concentrations it's a good uh, type of glucosamine sulfate and then there's other ones that are bad ones so that's another thing to kind of uh be cognizant of and do some homework on that end as well Okay. Okay. Great. Yep. Hey, Dave, we'll get you in before a break. Good evening or good afternoon. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Okay. What's uh, uh, what's going on with you? Uh, it's actually my wife. Uh, she's been diagnosed with uh, bursitis in the hips. Uh, her pain comes on after she walks, say, an eighth of a mile on the treadmill or does any walking. doesn't bother her when she's biking or other movements, but um, steroid in- injections seem to work once, and after that, 
she's had it, I don't know, half a dozen times and uh, no no response. Right. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, the last uh, specialist we saw, a uh, uh, neurologist, uh, said maybe the piriformis muscle is too tight or, and needs to be stretched mm-hmm. and recommended some, uh, some exercises. Sure, okay. Those exercises uh, seem to antagonize a little bit. Right, yeah. So to start with, should, should she keep trying those right. or... Yeah, so so with I'm I'm you know depending on you saying a hip bursitis, I'm going to assume it's the greater trochanteric bursitis, uh, which is kind of on the side of the hip area. Um, and again, a bursitis, a bursa is kind of like a, a you know a balloon in between muscles and bone in order to cause a padding, and sometimes that bursa can inflame and cause a lot of pain in the hip. Uh, oftentimes, again, bursitis is kind of goes back to what we were discussing in the beginning. It's more of a clinical sign. So yeah, we're able to say there's a bursitis, but now what is actually leading to the bursitis, which I think you were kind of alluding to, where one physician says, well, it may be a type piriformis. Um, it's often related to a diagnosis termed greater trochanteric pain syndrome, uh, which kind of looks at the the joints and the muscles and the tendons all on that same side of the body. Um, and one of the big things with the with this type of an issue is working with somebody who really understands the body from a manual medicine perspective that knows what things are weak and need to be strengthened, what other muscles may be tight and need to be stretched. It's not as j- simple as just saying one muscle needs to be stretched because no one muscle in the body works together. So the, the idea of stretching the piriformis may not be wrong, but maybe there needs to be strengthening done in some type of an antagonist muscle in order to hold that effect, right? So... Um, it's not usually not enough, in my opinion, when you're dealing with these types of things. I would say it's it's prudent on on uh, the patient's part to find a good manual therapist, someone who really understands manual medicine and can use that the right way, because these things often will not respond very well um, to other types of therapies. And the, the you know the the steroid injections that's kind of something that you hear often, where it seems to work once for a period of time, and then it doesn't really work anymore. And you also have to be careful with how often you're going to use uh, some type of a corticosteroid injection, especially in the hip when you're dealing with, as people get older, you you know, hip fractures can can be, you know, deadly at points when, yeah. when you're older. So you got to be careful in that area with those types of things. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh- uh, manual therapist, are you saying massage therapist? Massage therapist, chiropractor. Again, as I always say, these things, you know, any chiro, physio, uh, massage therapist, osteopath, they're all manual therapists. The harder part now becomes how do you find a good one that's going to treat it the right way? Right. Um, give me a call, Dave. We have a provider network across uh most of Ontario, and, and I'll try to help find someone that I think I trust in your area. Dave, again, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. You want to give us a call this afternoon? Got some uh, phone lines open here till one o'clock. The Doctor Payne Show four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty. On sale, Dr. Payne Show continues right back. Talk Radio AM 640. 12.35 here, a beautiful day outside, up to 10, reaching a high of 12 with sunshine. What a beauty out there. It's 7 o'clock this morning, that sun coming up is just... So nice. Good for the soul, man. Good for the soul for sure. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Jerry, good afternoon. Hi, Dr. Lou. Great show. Very informative. I really do listen to it every, every Sunday. Great. Thank you. We appreciate that. Uh, uh, doctor, I have an issue with uh, lower pain on my left 
foot um, between the ankle and the knee, mostly to the lower part or near the an- near the ankle. Okay. Um, it's a stabbing, pounding, throbbing, uh, throbbing pain. Mm-hmm. And it happens mostly in the night when I sleep, usually in the morning, or you just wake me up and it's a very sharp pain. And this is in your on the back, like on the calf? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's a couple things in that area. One before, of the things, sorry? Uh, before, before, I'm a 54-year-old and I'm type 2 di- diabetic. Diabetic, okay. Yeah, so so then there's a couple things in that area, right? It could be, again, a bursitis, an Achilles uh, bursitis in that area. Um, that could be similar to that patient with the hip, that the bursa could be inflaming. Uh, it could also be a tendinopathy within the tendon itself. Uh, and sometimes very specific exercises can make that better. Um and then the other thing, I guess it could be in that area as well, is uh, neurological stuff, like some type of a sciatic issue, uh, referring into that area because the sciatic nerve splits and comes down on either side of the Achilles tendon and into the foot. So it could be one of, you know, and that's just three things. There may be other things, but this is uh, that type of thing, Jerry, where if you've listened to the show a lot, you know, this is the type of thing where I'd really have to take a look at it, assess it properly, and then kind of, uh, you know, give you a specific answer to yourself because it wouldn't do it justice for me to just say, yeah, it's this or it's not this over uh, yeah, over the radio. Yeah. And also or- compounded with the fact that you're type 2 diabetic, they could also be uh, a neuropathy due to that, which is very common in diabetes. So it's something we'd have to look at uh, and get to the bottom of for sure and really look at the specifics of the um, case. Yeah, I, I, the doctor referred me for a for a, um, test for ultrasound for a blockage, which came back negative. Negative, yeah. And see, that's another thing to consider is some type of a of a deep vein thrombosis. So there's so many things in that area that it could be. Sorry, um, sorry. I, 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 I saw a neurologist a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. he said that it could be a pinched nerve beside yep. the knee. Yeah, ex- yeah, that's what I mean, some type of a sciatica type of issue, whether it's a peripheral entrapment of the nerve like behind the knee or at the, the butt area or due to a disc herniation, lots of things. That, that's my point is this could be, you know, one of dozens of different of th- different things. You got to dig, dig, dig. That's why you got to get it's in the there, It's the detective right? work. You yeah, you, you got to, it's a lot of questioning, a lot of physical testing, and then you start to peel away the layers of the onion and get to the middle and you're like, okay, I, I know what this now is. Now we can treat it. Yeah. Joe, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. I love your station, first of all. Thanks, okay, man. Appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I really do. I listen to you all the time while I'm driving. But anyway, I have this big pain on the left side of my body, below my shoulder, which affects my left arm. My doctor, I've got a beautiful doctor. They check everything. They can't find anything. So I need an MRI. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, I can't get an MRI till the middle of July. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? I'm really, really worried about it. You're doing such a great service. But, I mean, how can that be? Yeah, you know, that it's a it's a very, very... One of the things that I do is I also do some uh, lobbying down at Queen's Park, and um, it's one of the things that I often talk about, that the, the system that we're in... Uh, yeah. needs to change. We have a lot of other professionals um, that are better suited to treat certain things. Uh, and we've relied solely on uh, physicians to pretty much uh, make them the gatekeepers for all these types of special testing and and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's a very... Um, 
political question. I, I would agree with you. I think it is ridiculous that uh, if you have an issue today that you could potentially have to wait till July to uh, have further testing. Um, you know, exactly. and, and again, sometimes, uh, Joe, this is where, you know, one of the things that I try to do, I've built a relationship with a lot of um, hospitals and things in my area as well. Um, sometimes the you know, one of the important things to also remember here, the, one of the reasons why the system is backlogged is our doctors, uh, and, and not just doctors, I, I shouldn't just say that, our healthcare professionals have lost something called clinical acumen. Clinical acumen being a, a, the ability to hear something, come to an idea and do a lot of physical testing. You very rarely see that anymore where you go into a doctor's office and there's a lot of physical testing. It's just, uh, you know, every every test in the book thrown at you and those tests cost a lot of money and i see this all the time lots of useless tests wasted on patients that waste our tax dollars our, our resources in our system and it's just preventing people that really need it more importantly so you know joe maybe it's something that uh we could take a look at and you may not even need further testing uh uh but yeah i agree with you it is ridiculous and unfortunately it's the reality of our system We'll take a, a short break. Appreciate your call, Joe, and uh, we'll stay on the line with everyone else. We'll get to you very shortly here. The Dr. Payne Show continues talk radio, AM 640. It's 1243. We'll uh, take it right up to uh, to 1 o'clock this afternoon. The Dr. Payne Show. Mohammed, thanks for hanging on the line. How are you, pal? Not too bad. How are you doing, Doc? Good. How are you? you know, I love I love your show. I'm always listening to the station, you know. Uh, Great. I'm so happy. Awesome. Uh, listen, I just want to uh, share my uh, information with you guys. I have a I used to have a lot of pain in my shoulders, my knees, my joint. I'm a mechanic and used to do a lot of martial arts for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And um, we end up to have no solution by the doctors that just give me the painkiller, Advil, Aleve, you name it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until two years ago, it was uh, so bad, my knees was killing me. And uh, I wasn't able to even go upstairs for sleep. So I uh, usually I sleep in the main floor. And uh, I went to my doctor, he sent me for MRI, all these things, and they said, oh, you have a severe arthritis pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, said, okay, what's the solution? They said, the yes, only solution is take this pill for the rest of your life. Okay. So uh, when I started having pill after two weeks, I feel like, man, I'm like 18 years old. There's no pain in my body. Mm. And until one day, I went to Huntsville. So, uh, and I forgot to take my pill. Okay. So uh, the first day was okay. The second night, man, I wasn't able to sleep, and then I was driving wow. nuts. Okay. So I go back to the city uh, after four or five days and talk to my doctor again. I said, listen, what happened? I forgot to take my pill, and the pain came back. He said, yeah, that's a painkiller. And this is you got to take it for the rest of your life. There's nothing you can do. I said, okay. So what I did, I started searching and to see what we can do to help my body without having any medicine. Mm-hmm. What did you find? Uh, what's that? What did you find? Okay, so this is what I did. And I can tell you almost year and a half, I didn't touch any pill. And I run, I play soccer, I drank organic apple cider vinegar. One tablespoon before breakfast with mixed with water, one before lunch, one before dinner. Mm-hmm. I eat a lot of uh, turmeric mixed with my food. Mm-hmm. And also there is a syrup I purchased from the uh, organic place. Right. It's called Nitroflex. Yep. 
Nitroflex Supreme, it has a strawberry flavor, it has a glucosamine in it, it has vitamin D in it, there right. are many turmeric and many different So, things. So, Mohammed, you've done a kind of a lot of your own natural remedies to to get your pain better, which I think is, you know, I encourage all people uh, to, you know, these types of... I love hearing stories like yours. The one place where I have a bit of caution is yeah. these types of things don't work for everybody. Everybody. Well, and, I know, I know. and so, so, you know, I, I do always encourage people. You can try one of the very important things that you find in these types of things is the belief that you're going to get better. The placebo effect, which is just as important um, to getting better. So I'm glad that you've tried things that they're helping you. I encourage you to continue doing them. And I encourage all our listeners that if there's things uh, that you think you've done your research on and you're willing to try, uh, you should still probably have a conversation with someone just to make sure there's no other interactions with other things. But yeah, these types of things, it's not uncommon to hear that these things have you know the same way some people will say surgery was a miracle for me i got my hip replacement i've never had another issue again versus some people come in and say no i had that and now i got all kinds of new issues so you know it's just the reality of of healthcare chris we'll uh, get to you how are you pal hey chris hey how are you today good what's going on with you not too much. I'll make a, a quick story of it. Yep. I'm a big mountain biker. I had a crash about 10 years ago and broke the collarbone and tore the rotator cuff and uh. concussion and broken ribs and stuff like that. So they fixed the, uh, the collarbone right away. Mm-hmm. And then we moved out west and I had surgery done on the shoulder for pretty significant impingement. And, uh, and that's fine. They said there was probably some nerve damage and, and that kind of thing. And for years afterwards, I had the two middle fingers on my left hand where they were kind of numb all the time. Mm-hmm. Over the last year or so, what's happened is up near the shoulder, right on the arm itself, I've got a pain in there that's it's diminished over the last month or six weeks, but it's almost like it's kind of numb to touch, mm-hmm. and it hurts to touch. Like, I can feel it all the time. Okay. And I'm just kind of wondering if that, you know, more of a nerve issue. I think there probably should be some follow-up to the surgery is what they said many years ago. And, of course, as a guy, I didn't maybe do what I was supposed to do. Right. Yeah, and I was just going to say this is an important part of whoever your team was that helped you get better after the surgery. That's something to bring up to them. It could be uh, more of a nerve issue. It could be something else. It could be pain uh, related to compensation. A lot of the times, see, with surgery, especially related to some type of a of a tear or whatever, there's a give and take. And that give and take is that you're going to start to lose a little bit of range in order to keep that area of the body more stable. Um, and that lost range oftentimes can be made up in other areas that then start moving too much that can create new issues. Right. The important thing around surgery is we talk about prehabilitation, which is doing the right things prior to your surgery to get you healthy for recovery. And then also just as important, if not more important, is the right stuff after the surgery, the right rehabilitation, which, you know, and and probably to no fault of your own, Chris, and I'm not suggesting that it wasn't done right, but a lot of the times... um, there's a lot of places out there not doing the right stuff. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think you can probably appreciate. It needs to be taken a look at, and and uh, and from there you can get a more accurate answer as to what's going on exactly. Well, I was pretty fortunate. The, the, the surgeon out west was actually the Canucks uh, orthopedic surgeon. Oh, yeah, nice. And so he set me up with a chiropractor and a massage therapist for a good. month before they do the surgery. To okay, good. Yeah. Out. Yeah, so it sounds like, see, those are the types of things that I like to hear, the right type of of prehab and rehab type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's good. I think a, a follow-up is important to figure out what's going on. 
Get to more of your calls here after a quick break on the other side. The Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. A few minutes to go here at 1253. You need to uh, book an appointment, get a consultation, or talk to Dr. Lou after the show. No problem. It is info at paincarecanada.com or one 855 Dr. Lou, just that simple. Got uh, John on the line. Hi, John. Yes, sir. I love your show. Thanks. Thanks. What's going on? Anyway, I, I got a problem with my head. The problem is, uh, I had the, uh, on top of the ear, uh, ears, I thought it was the ears, so yeah. I got the new earrings, which first one, and it still says, always whistle on top of the ears, what side? And I went to my doctor, I went to any village I asked, he said, I have to live with it. So, can, uh, John, can you say that again? What What is the problem? It's above your ears? Yeah, it's above my ears and the head, not, not in the ears. Okay, okay, not in the ears, in the head, above the ears. Yeah, one of the common things uh, we've talked about, myofascial pain mm-hmm. uh, syndrome, which is referral of certain muscles causing referral pains. Uh, it's very, very common to have uh, tender s- spots on the scalp or pain in the scalp that's due to muscles actually at the base of the of the really? skull next to the neck that refer pain into that area. So, you know, in the absence of it being an ear issue, John, it may also be an issue with... Uh, your neck that's that's sending pain up that way, right? Or it could be something else uh, within the head itself. This is, again, where a proper assessment um, can really help identify what the issue is. But, yeah, myofascial pain is, is one of those things that can often um, cause pain to be felt in a different area than where the, the actual source, source is. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very important to consider where those referral areas are so that you can uh, uh, treat it properly for sure. So in other words, there's no help whatsoever with that. No, not well. No, I didn't say that. If if let's say it is myofascial pain and it's related to your neck, well, then treatment on your neck would get those areas better in the scalp, right? So uh, I'm just using that as an example. If it is that, but um, yeah, I, I think there's oftentimes help for anything as long as it's diagnosed properly. Because I I mean I try every like I said you ask everybody you said you have to live with it. No. Yeah, well, who's everybody that you've asked, though, right? My doctor, then everybody I knew, you know, like uh, from the thing, like a couple of doctors, and they said, you got to live with it. I said, yeah. can you someplace send me? I said, no. You got to study. Don't matter. I, I fell asleep, and that goes 24 hours a day, already for 10 years. Mm. Yeah, so, again, I can't comment on, on it in terms of if it is something that you have to live with forever because I haven't actually assessed it and seen it. So yeah. I, I'm not sure if, if, you know, I'm never a big fan of, of uh, healthcare professionals saying that it's just something you got to yeah, live with. Suck it up. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, if something's been going on for decades and it's there's been nothing that helps, maybe at a certain point you do have to come to that acceptance. But, you know, I, I hear people come in a lot of times, and I think we had a caller earlier that was kind of told after a short period of time, yeah, it's just something that's always going to be there, or just keep taking this or doing that. Any type of therapy, whether it's a medication or a physical therapy or whatever, there should be a plan to wean off of that therapy in order to allow your body to do what's needed and doing the right things in other ways. You don't want your body to adapt to any one thing. Hey, Dave, we'll uh, get you in quickly here. What's going on? Uh, yeah, uh, we talked about uh, bursitis. My yeah. Having earlier and got cut off. Uh, one element of the discussion we never got to, uh, uh, she has uh, had her back checked as well and had uh, some degenerative disc issues in the lower back and got uh, a shot by the neurologist for that, and it's helped uh, her pain in that area. 
Now, the bursitis pain that comes on after a little exercise, I heard you mention referred pain. Would that be a possibility? Yeah, and, and the greater trochanteric pain syndrome, that's my point that I'm talking about. It, it needs to be assessed fully in order to see, is there a referral component as well? It could be a multitude of different things, right? So uh, my point is that uh, I think my recommendation to you was a good manual therapist uh, right. is going to be someone who can uh, diagnose and treat that accordingly. Okay. Um, just uh, another point. You mentioned uh, earlier the uh, glucosamine treatments for joints and so on. Mm -hmm. I've been taking uh, that stuff for probably seven, eight years, and it took about a month, I'd say, to get results, but yeah, uh, I've got a bit of arthritis. In yep. The back. So, again, all those things, I'm following the general recommendations. Uh, the guidelines, you have to take it for a prolonged period. I'm happy that those things are helping. Um, and yeah, that's just the reality is any treatment intervention can affect any individual a different way. So again, it may work wonders for one person. It may not for the other. That's why healthcare needs to be tailored to individuals. That's the whole thing that I'm trying to do is I want to work with people and figure out their story exactly and treat them specifically. Appreciate all the calls this afternoon. Until next time, the number one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, or info at paincarecanada.com. The Dr. Payne Show. It's been right here on Talk Radio, AM640.